What up, HyperChange? Welcome to another episode. Today, we've got a super special interview uh, lined up with Hey Dave, a legendary Tesla YouTuber, friend of HyperChange. What up, Dave? Hey, Kelly. How's it going, man? Nice chatting again. Yeah, uh, great to have you here. So um, obviously, for those who've been following the channel, um, you know, we've collabed before. You're a big fan of Tesla, long-term shareholder, big fan of Elon. Um, and actually recently, what piqued my interest the most is you had this idea of the X.com merger, which was merging all of Elon's companies into one. Um, as somebody who follows him and is an investor in SpaceX, Tesla, who wishes they could get access to Neuralink and the boring company, like, I love this idea. I think it reduces the friction on Elon's empire. And it's just, it's so fascinating. So I know we have a ton to unpack there, but could you start with kind of the elevator pitch of, you know, wh what do you think is the problem with the structure of Elon's empire right now? And how did that lead you to propose X.com? Yeah. So, so X.com, the holding company idea, it was kind of um, something I've been thinking about because um, I was worried that Elon would finish his 2018 CEO compensation plan and he would focus more on SpaceX and there wouldn't be as much to tie Elon into Tesla. Um, so I was thinking maybe in you know, the next you know, two to four years, Elon might move on to SpaceX. So I'm like, okay, if he does that, then Tesla will do fine as a company, but longer term, let's say the five to 15 year kind of time frame, um, I don't think Tesla would do as well as if Elon was on in charge, if he was leading the push. So I said, okay, how can we you know, ensure that Elon kind of calls the shots and he does it in a way that, you know, it makes sense to him. Um, and it kind of maybe makes his life easier by combining all of these, you know, companies that he's doing. And perhaps he could do more if it's under one structure. So that was kind of the idea. It was like over a year ago, um, I shared that. And then right after I got uh, a big pushback that I didn't expect, you know, I thought it was just like a, a naive, not a naive, just a simple idea. Yeah, that people you are like... Out. They yeah. get a feeling about it. I felt that too. Whenever I mention it, it's like, I'm like, whoa, yeah. like people are beefing about this. I didn't realize that was like, yeah. yeah. And I didn't get it un until um, I started talking with some institutional investors and I um, was uh, chatting with one of them by email and he holds a ton of Tesla um, and he's a big Elon fan. Um, and I was surprised because I thought he would be a fan of a holding company, but he was like 100% against it, um, even though he's bullish on all of Elon's companies. And his whole thing is it doesn't maximize shareholder value. You know, if you divide it up, you're not going to get fair value for any of the companies. Um, and it's best to just keep it separate. Right. And so after that, I'm like, wow. And I started talking with more people. And then I started to realize, yeah, there is a there's an issue here. And the issue is. Wall Street's culture and the traditional investing mentality is not one of super long term. You know, no one's going to look out five or 10 years and what's best for the world or, you know, the company five or 10 years per se. They're looking to preserve their assets and grow it at a predictable you know, pace with some level of certainty. And so because of that, I started to just um, really be empathetic to those who who were against it. And how, you know, I mean, some people were scared that, oh, my gosh, it's going to tank the stock price 50 percent. I'm like, really? Is it really going to, you know? Um, and I think part of those concerns are overborn or overboard in a way because Tesla is um, their financials are improving so fast with every quarter. They're just growing so fast. And I don't think analysts are really understanding how fast Tesla's profits are improving. So I think that's like um, an interesting angle. But, yeah, on the other side. Um, 
yeah, I do think it could it could hit the the stock a little bit because if you look at what happened with Optimus at the Q4 earnings call, Elon just like talks a little bit about, you know, some of his future future plans and people just don't get it. You know, they don't like it. They want him just to focus on cars right now and maximizing, you know, this year's uh, chances. And so, um, yeah, it's a tough one. Um, I, I saw your video actually on uh, X company how and I, I think. I mean, I understand both sides. I'm kind of torn actually right now. You know, I, I could see it working out, but also, I also understand the other side that, yeah, it could it could add a little bit of maybe complexity to more of a, a currently simple kind of Tesla investment play right now. And I love the way you boil it down because it's, do we want it to be simple from the investment case or simple for Elon? And that to yeah. me is where I like the X.com thing because it's like, okay, SpaceX is burning a couple bill, Tesla's making a couple bill, let's connect these pipes and like, this is frictionless. Let's put all the engineers in one house. Like, let's reduce all sort of these corporate silos. And so when I hear what you're saying, an institutional money manager says, maximize shareholder value. First of all, I don't believe that the markets would underprice this. SpaceX is mm -hmm. raising capital to 100 billion. If they floated it yeah. publicly, it would triple. So I would argue they're mm -hmm. already not maximizing shareholder value in the private markets. Also with Neuralink, it would probably raise it triple the price if they floated it. So I actually think you the the institutional investor just like assuming that the markets wouldn't correctly value the uh equities entity like the equity of the entity. I don't yeah. I don't really buy that. And I also don't like the shareholder value over like long-term thinking about what's good for the planet because I actually think that's super short-term and I think maximizing Elon's flexibility, maximizing SpaceX's access to Tesla engineers and that capital in the very long-term could actually cr create more value than having them in silos. So yeah. I'm kind of playing devil's advocate here, but um, yeah. that's kind of the one thing that I love about the idea of just like from the fan of like Elon's this guy creating all these technologies that we want to proliferate, let's make it as easy as possible for him. Um, and that's why to me, the X.com idea I loved and I think Elon replied to you and he's been engaging with this idea because that's exactly yeah. where he's at. He's like, let me just run and do engineering and like get all like, why is SpaceX going to have a meeting with a VC when Tesla's going to make 4 billion in profit and pay a 35% tax rate on it? And they're both my companies. Like, yeah. Um, so yeah. yeah, I don't yeah, know I if think, you have any think, comments. Yeah, no, the tax issue is, is a great one because like, yeah, you could, you know, invest a lot of that um, pre-tax into the perhaps one of the greatest missions of all time, SpaceX, you know, um, I actually agree with you on the valuation point that um, I think People are assuming that there's going to be discounted, like investors are going to discount Tesla and SpaceX now. But these are two of the most exciting companies out there ever, you know. And the I think people underestimate the the power of and the allure of SpaceX. You know, like in the private markets, this is the hottest company for, and it has been for many years. You know, there's like there's a reason why people are lining up in droves for this, and it's tremendously undervalued right now. You know, that's why all these funds are doing, you know, all these like. Uh, fees and all this stuff on top of it. But um, yeah, but the other kind of uh, issue you bring up is this thing of do we maximize for Elon and his kind of focus and what he can do um, or do we maximize for something else? And there, there's an interesting point where is Tesla still kind of Elon's company, right? And um, I think it still is. I think though there could be a time in the next, I don't know how many years, um, it could be sooner, it could be later, where Elon's role becomes maybe less and less crucial to the survival and the thriving of Tesla, meaning they just have so much cash flow. They have, you know, great products that's lined up into many years into the future. Um, let's say they solve FSD, you know, like this thing can go on for 10 or 15 years, this cash cow of FSD. And so if you look at it like that, there could be a point where, you know, some, I, I see that dichotomy happening already. Some people are like, they are investing in Tesla even in spite of Elon, 
it's like five years ago, it wasn't like that. You had to take both of them together, Elon and Tesla. This was Elon's company. But I know now it's like, it just feels like a lot of Wall Street is looking at the numbers and Elon is becoming kind of not as uh, indispensable as, you know, what early investors. I would investors. say only that, I don't want to say good investors are saying that. That's bad investors who relate to the yeah. game. The, the, yeah. We know that Elon created all this value and that's why we're looking at 8 billion in profit or whatever is because exactly. he bought that machine and put his neck on the line when everyone thought it was wrong. So, yeah. 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 Right. So, yeah. So I'm saying is there's a, there's a growing dichotomy of people who think that Elon is indispensable, but then there's a, another side that actually think that no, he is he is um, dispensable in a way. And I think we're going to see this play out more and more in the future. Um, and it's just it's just how it is as the company becomes more stable, more profitable. You know, I mean, look at Amazon. You know, Bezos steps down, nothing happens. No one cares. You know. Um, and it's because at a certain level of maturity and, and cash flows, like the analysts don't care about the CEO, you know, they just want that co to continue on. But yeah, I don't know. What's your take on all this? It, so I, I don't know. It feels like, you know, owner, operator, founder is the holy grail. Like for me as an investor, I'm obsessed with that. And so when Elon tried to get removed as chairman, like I was really yeah. against that because I was like, I love this sort of dictatorship for lack of a better term. Like I think that's how the best things mm -hmm. happen. Like you need to make decisions quickly. Uh, if you want to be on offense, you need this owner, operator, founder thing. The second you move to a bureaucratic CEO, you're on defense. And yeah. I, I would argue a lot of the critics who want to replace Elon, like haven't been with Tesla from the start and aren't like. I just aren't right. I don't know. In my opinion, it's like history show. Like what happened to Apple now? Apple hasn't took a big swing. And I'm actually really curious to what your take is because I know you follow yeah. Apple super closely. Like like Tim Cook's great at the numbers. He's great at Wall Street, but he hasn't taken the big swing. He's not going to execute on the electric car. He's not going to execute on Neuralink. I don't think he's yeah. going to execute on the glasses. They're going to maximize the cash flow value what they have. To me, Tesla and Elon have so much value being on offense of the Tesla bot, of the semi truck, of the cyber truck, the structural pack. Like to FSD beta, we have so many more where you need type A offensive leaders yeah. that that's why I think it's worse. Even though the financials look like maybe we're mature enough to get a new CEO, when I look at the evolution of the business model, I'm like, no, we need that savage owner operator founder who's willing to take these big risks, who's willing to put his entire reputation on the line for a super risky technology bet because that's where he sees the future headed. And I worry that these sort of business suits who've never been entrepreneurs that say we need a more mature CEO are realizing that they're putting the lid on the greatest value alpha generator that we have, which is Elon's creativity and what he'll invent next. And yeah. so, yeah. Yeah, I 100%, I 100% agree with that. I mean, that's the whole, like when you, when you find a great, you know, uh, thinker, leader, entrepreneur, engineer, you double down on that and you let Elon do everything he can and you don't like restrict that. Right. And I think, um, that's what that, and that's why I'm ex, that's why the the whole you know X company kind of you know original thing came from. But on the flip side, Wall Street loves the Tim Cook type of you know CEO. Like he is the dream because in a way it's like predictable growth, right? He'll do the thing that makes sense, you know, on on spreadsheets. He'll he'll um, maximize you know profits, maximize shareholder value, you know, buy back the stock. He'll do everything Wall Street wants, and that's what that's what you know, big money wants. They want something predictable. They want they, they want to go to bed at night and not be nervous about like, you know, what the CEO will do. They want to know that the CEO is like, you know, had their has their spreadsheets out and it has management meetings and, you know, is doing the typical thing that a CEO needs to do. And um yeah, I mean that's the that's a cultural tension. I think we talked about this actually in in um one of my first kind of uh, chats with you on my channel. 
kind of like this culture clash of what Wall Street stands for and its tradition and its rules versus kind of like this out of the box kind of thinking and um, which Tesla and finding Tesla, but also I think a lot of the crypto world, there's so much of the world that's out of the box. And I think right now we have Tesla in the middle right now where it's become a mega cap company where a lot of the, the share ownership has been taken over by traditional you know, in the box Wall Street. But you still have a large part of Tesla owned by Elon and others who are out of the box, you know, and want to double down and who see the next big frontier is artificial intelligence, not just cars, you know. But Wall Street, I mean, they, I don't know. I, I think Wall Street doesn't even want Tesla to, to do much more than cars. They just want it to be safe. Right. And for it to be predictable. Um, but yeah, there's there's some interesting stuff going on. And it's yeah, it's so safe. You say or funny you say that. And like the dichotomy to me is so interesting. I almost feel like Elon and, and Tesla fans are like Wall Street hates us. You know, the market, we don't they don't get us. And I say Tesla was valued at 50 billion when we were doing a couple billion in revenue and our price sales ratio was this We're worth a trillion, even though we're still growing. Like to me, the equity markets like Wall Street's this bubble that people think the commentary on CNBC and what Wall Street analysts say dictates valuations to me, they have almost mm -hmm. we're way overestimating their influence in this Wall Street box. The market's the markets. The market's telling us Tesla's worth 1.2 trillion fully diluted, even though they're like making, you know, one sixth as much as Apple, they're worth almost half as much. So I would argue the market's almost discounting Tim Cook's innovation relative to Elon Musk's. And actually the, the, the market loves Elon. And so as much as the Wall Street analysts will write these notes about how we need a buttoned up CEO, Elon can't tweet that. And my friends always tell me like, Elon can't tweet that. Like you can't have your CEO tweet that. Well, I'm like, he can, mm -hmm. he just did. Tesla stock. Yeah. still going up they're still making profit they're still going to change the world like uh what is there's there's just this opinion that you need a buttoned up ceo when i'm looking at the data saying actually the market screw what wall street is the market's yeah. giving elon all the capital and all the runway to do whatever the hell he wants because they know he's the greatest value generator of all time and that's why everyone's begging to give him more money in spacex or tesla or Neuralink or whatever you know so yeah i think there's um i think we've gotten this past this moment where the internet and sort of like i don't want to call it the retail investor but like the knowledge of the crowd is driving it and the noise of Wall Street's kind of diminished almost. Yeah, I mean, I would, I wouldn't, I would say it's a little bit more nuanced than that because, like, I would say the dramatic rise for Tesla is largely due to financials. And if you take a company that goes from like, you know, negative EBITDA cash flow to a four billion dollar right, EBITDA quarterly cash flow rate just in a couple of years, like that's gonna, you know, turn heads. Like, that's sixteen billion dollars annualized, you know, adjusted EBITDA. Um, yeah, you do a 50 multiple off of that, you're already at $800 billion, you know, just off of that, off of current EBITDA cash flow. And so I think there is a big case where um, a lot of Tesla's valuation did follow, I think, this turnaround with profit, profitability and cash flow. Um, and um, that's, yeah, and that, that's also another reason why I think I'm pretty confident going forward because Tesla's financials are so strong. And as a double production, it's like, it's going to flow a lot to the bottom line and you're going to have huge, I think, operating profits and margins um, coming through. Yeah, I guess the interesting part to me is if you read Wall Street or you read all what the smart people mm. were saying in 2018, we were like 30 or 50 billion. Like you remember, that was like the bull bear yeah. debate. It was like the perceived solvency. The mainstream media is going to be yelling that Tesla's not solvent, that they're losing all this money, the business model's insolvent, yet the capital markets are willing to keep the price inflated and keep the equity price at a certain level where they can keep diluting to fund the business model, and they gave Elon the chance. So as much as the public markets almost killed Tesla, I also think they were 
they also like believed in Tesla just enough to let it succeed. I don't know. It's got it's nuanced, uh, but sure. it's but but I love what you're saying there though of yeah. I, the amount of times where we kind of forget that like the fundamentals have backed up all these weird moonshot theories. It's funny how mm -hmm. the narrative has shifted so far away from the financials now that they're so bulletproof. Um, but okay, I want to yeah. get to more uh, spicier stuff about Tesla. FSD. Yeah. Um, do you have FSD? Are you testing it? What's your take on on just where we're at, how it's improving, um, would love to. Yeah, know. yeah. Um, I actually I saw your um, your drive with Omar uh, the other day, um, and um, so yeah, I've been testing uh, since 9.0, I think July of last year, um, and I, I drive it a lot actually, um, as much as I can, almost every day, and I've seen it actually improve a lot, um, and I'm actually super happy with the progress. I think um, initially when I first got it in July, I had high expectations where I'm like, okay, this doesn't drive according to like the videos I've seen. <laughs> um, but when I was driving, I started to understand. And I think having them James Dalma and I would like offline, I would send him video clips. I go, Hey, what's going on here? Like, you know, what is the computer seeing and what is it doing? And I started to just really understand like why it's making the mistakes it does when it does. And it started to give me this deeper appreciation of how difficult uh, autonomous driving is going to be. And it gives me confidence that I really think Tesla is actually farther in the lead than most people think with autonomous driving without using LiDAR, you know? I mean, I think it's completely different fundamental approaches, right? LiDAR and just vision. But I think in the vision camp, um, yeah, I mean, Elon was saying five years. Like, I, I was actually thinking that before. I'm like, I think Tesla's like, because a lot of people think, oh, Tesla might be a six months ahead, 12 months ahead, right? Everyone's going to have vision shortly after Tesla. But I was thinking even before Elon tweeted, I'm like, I think Tesla's at least four or five years ahead. This is really hard stuff. Um, so actually, the, the longer it takes Tesla to solve FSD, in some ways, it shows me the, the difficult of the problem, like how daunting it is, um, because you have the best of the best pouring, you know, resource upon resource into this. And um, um, I don't see, yeah, a, a second place that has the data and has the ambition that Tesla has, right, with vision only. And so um, I'm not too concerned about timeline. Like a lot of people are like, oh my gosh, is it going to happen this week? I can't believe Elon said this year or something, right? Or this year for you know level four. And I'm like, I don't think that really matters as an investor personally. Because um, you've got on one hand, you've got growing production. you got two new factories. So as long as you have revenue increasing, that's going to come and in increase margins, operating profits, the bottom line. So Tesla's financials are going to be in the right direction. So it doesn't necessarily matter if robo-taxis come in one year, two years, three years, or four years, you know? It's like, what matters more is if this is a winner-takes-most market, if Tesla's lead is actually like a durable advantage, or are three or four players all going to catch up at the same time as Tesla? Like, that is the key question, to, in my opinion. And I'm just leaning, and not leaning, I'm strongly in the camp that I think this actually is a really strong, durable advantage that Tesla has that's multi-year in in competitive advantage. It's not going to be easy for others to catch up. And because of that, yeah, I really think that this could be um, um, one of the biggest winner takes most uh, tech markets ever. Um, and so, yeah, timeline is kind of secondary in, in my opinion. So why do you think Elon has been so adamant about constantly reflect, uh, you know, 
talking about the timeline because when I think about our history with Tesla and what happened yeah. with Model 3, the missed expectations and mismanaging expectations with your own community was the biggest mistake. And so I, I don't know, it's just kind of at the back of my head, but I've been thinking again, like Elon, like, why do you always say it's this year when everyone knows it's not? <laughs> and then, hey, Dave, it's yeah. like, and we're all, and you know, we're all long terms. So we're like, it's getting better. Yeah. We're going to get there. It's super hard. We're way ahead. We're moving as fast as we can. Like, that's great. We don't need it to be done tomorrow. Like, we'll, like it'll be ready when it's ready. So why isn't Elon? communicating at that level why is he saying timelines and is that just elon being elon pushing to move fast or like uh yeah, I, yeah. I don't know it's kind of the thing where i'm like deep down i do not think a robo taxi for tesla will generate revenue before 2025 probably so yeah 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 so okay this is gonna be i'll go i'll go where i don't think maybe um many people will go here but like, yeah you, yeah, yeah e elon's getting a lot of flack for this timeline thing right I mean, you, you see videos um, by other YouTube channels and other media outlets who are, you know, clipping together his past statements of FSD timeline saying next year, next year, next year, right, all the way back from whenever. And even in, even questioning if Elon was is, is lying or not, right? Is he, he really telling the truth? And I think um, this has kind of stirred um, a lot of just... Um, reaction right from from some people in a negative way but and this is like not a hundred percent an excuse but for th this is just how i personally take it elon is a particularly um unique individual and he doesn't have the same perhaps proficiencies all around or he has different types of proficiencies right and his Proficiency to think and to solve problems and to think analytically to to push things to its limit first principles physics engineering is off the charts But his proficiencies and skills in terms of relational type of managing expectations and all of these things are not very high in my opinion like he's not thinking about relational expectations when he's saying these he's purely analyzing it from uh, engineering perspective based purely off of these equations that he's seen, not he's seen, but he's looking at like what his, you know, his team is telling him in terms of data, how he's viewing the problem. So in his head, it's purely uh, a numbers crunching, like interventions per mile. How fast are we improving the, the system over time? How fast compute will improve? All these things are going in his head, like equation wise. Right. There's nothing in his mind that's saying, oh, I need to manage people's expectations lest they become disappointed and blah, blah, blah. What if this doesn't happen in time? Then this I can get into trouble, whatever. Like that's not what's going through his head at, at all. Zero. You know, he's purely and that's why every year it says it's like the, almost the same answer. Right. It's going to happen this year <laughs> because all of the equation, all of the data he's seen is really positive. Right. And that the team is making a ton of progress. And what pe most people don't. I think realize with this is autonomous driving has never been done before like this with pure vision. Like it's completely new. It's a new area, new product. There's no precedent for it. So how do you know what, whether or not you've done it or not? Like you don't, you don't until you finish, you, until you get there. And like you can bash Elon all you want saying that, oh, he, he's like, you know, messed up and all this stuff. And sure, there is this element relationally. Yes, he's messed up with timelines completely. You know, I agree with that. But it's not intentional. I don't think at all. Zero. And he's purely saying what he really believes and thinks in the moment based upon, you know, his analysis of their progress. Um, yeah, I mean, that's I mean, what's your take on on, on this? I'm curious to hear. 
Yeah, I know. I, I think you said it beautifully. And there's like the legal term of scienter, which I remember mm -hmm. when the Elon Musk case happened of the 420 going private tweet. Do you have ill intent? And that will like dictate a lot of the repercussions. And I think Elon never has scienter. Like he's never like trying to lie to deceive you to do like, and that's what I think all these kind of people who see the worst in the world and see the worst in Elon, like try and take it out mm. of context when it's like this guy is just trying really hard <laughs> to do something. And like you said, he's thinking about it, what's possible. And it, you see in his robot brain, you have to listen to every word he says, I think we will be safer than a human driver within a year. And I would argue it's probably already safer than a good amount of human drivers. It's not even that crazy to say that. He's not really saying it's going to be like the perfect. Um, so, but actually, I, so yeah. I, I kind of have your advice on, or I want your advice on this. And, and just to be really candid, like this is something I'm struggling with, like the Omar video. So I posted that and like one clip of it gets taken out of context. And this has happened to me several times. And like the first time it happened, I like had to delete my video or I like they, they clip out of a 30 minute drive, the worst part, they make it look the worst. People post it on Twitter without my consent. I don't even know because they don't tag me or anything. Yeah. And then I tried to get them to take it down. I deleted my video last time and then it happened again. And so from as a creator, I've been trying to document my progress with FSD because like this is the coolest tech thing happening. Yeah. I'm also a Tesla investor. Like this is the front lines of my due diligence. Like I'm sharing my investing journey. Like I want to open that up. Like I almost feel guilty if it does bad and I don't tell my people, but I know that now I'm pretending that I'm so I've just been like kind of torn up because it kills me when it's like, oh, everyone takes it out of context and thinks I'm doing something so unsafe. And like to me, like personally, road safety is so important. Like I don't know if you remember a year ago today actually like Tesla had this some Bitcoin news drop. And you hit me up yeah, and you're like, yeah. Gally, let's collab and do a video. And I yeah. couldn't because my friend passed away and he was hit and killed yeah. by a drunk driver and there was no consequences. And that's like what people go through all the time. And like, that's my best friend and brother to me, Josh. And it's super sad. And like, so when people tell me that I don't care about road safety and like that, it just like, I, it just, it's so far from my truth as a person. Like I am so passionate about this technology because I think we need it for the safety of the roads and everyone. And like, it's just super yeah. important. And so as a creator, I'm like torn of like, I'm trying to post these videos. They get taken so out of context. Like, should I stop posting them? How do we tell people about FSD? Like, and there's gonna be crashes on FSD. That's just gonna yeah, be part of, yeah. so I'm just like, I don't know. It's kind of an open-ended question, but I'm really curious like your thoughts as a creator. Yeah, so um, I'll just share like kind of why I'm not posting uh, many or much at all um, FSD videos. I actually was um, intending to post uh, FSD videos um, to share kind of my experience with them more. Um, I might have posted one very early on, but then what I realized is, oh, people aren't going to understand this. It's like they're just really not going to get it, meaning um, they're not going to understand how good it is when it does, when it works well. Like, because you have to kind of almost be in the car and like there's so many times where like, oh my gosh, the car actually did this, you know? And like you're having like I maybe mean, a hundred of these moments where like, wow, this is really amazing. People aren't gonna get that, I think. And then the second thing is they're not gonna understand the the interventions. And I think they will over kind of they see because they don't have the the context of why the 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 cameras, the computer um, did what it did. Um, they're going to misinterpret the inter interventions as something that is really not, you know? And that's why, like, you know, early on I started to do, okay, rather than doing full drives, maybe I'll just do a case study of uh, some interventions. So I called up James Dalma and we did a video where we did like five or six interventions. And I just did a five second clip. And I said, okay, what happened in this intervention? You know, like what happened in this intervention? And he gave me kind of the angle of what the computer is seeing, how it was deciding what to do. And it's very different than what most people would imagine or think, 
right? Like for example, in your um, Omar video, there was this, you were fol following a biker and then like it kind of was going into, it felt like into into the biker. Um, and there was an intervention and I actually, I, I messaged James Dalma, I'm like, hey, can you take a look at this timestamp? Like what's going on here in this situation? And he, he, he analyzed and he's like, oh, actually I think the car actually was try was seeing that you needed to be in the right lane because it was going to turn right eventually. It was trying to actually get into the right lane earlier. Um, but what happened was you probably, Gally probably pressed the accelerator pa going past the, in the intersection. Um, as you're passing the intersection, you kind of maybe press the accelerator and that messed up the the path of what the car was going to do it was going to actually slow down the reason why it was slowing down the intersection was not because of the intersection was because it was trying to wait to, for that bike to go and then to get into that lane and to slowly kind of do its job but when you press the accelerator it kind of it messed up the path where it was trying to get behind it but then you pushed it and it kind of went. So he was explaining this to me. I'm like, oh, that's so interesting because nobody, I don't think when you look at that clip, they're not going to get that, that that's what was happening. And James Dallas, his conclusion was, oh, this is actually a case of maybe the human pushing kind of a, a wrong intervention into it, like, like the accelerator, when if the human didn't do that, it would have acted actually in a, in a much safer way. But actually you, you were causing perhaps an overreaction. So anyways, he brought that up. I'm like, who in the world is going to understand that just by looking at that clip? You know, they look at that clip and they're like, oh, my gosh, look at FSC. It's, you know, it's like terrible, whatever, uh, unsafe. And I think that's just the natural reaction for people who who it's a very um, nuanced, complicated, challenging thing to dissect. You know, and so I think there are certain ways that I think maybe are appropriate to do it. One example, if a person has like 30 different uh, points that they always go through and it's like an obstacle course like and they track each version from 9.0 9.1 and see and give it a, a, a rating like an out of 100 for every single drive and then they're just doing this obstacle course like every single drive and they give a, a point total and then they show how far it's progressed over time like that's a more of an objective kind of data play like you know how how does this work just purely you know off of a score zero to hundred but when you take kind of these just you know, random drives and, you know, there's a random intervention and one of them is really scary. It's like, it's going to get overblown, I think, or misunderstood, you know, by most people. Um, yeah, it's a tricky, definitely a tricky thing there. That was, yeah, no, amazing insight. And I love what talking to James about that. I'm like, damn, that sounds fascinating. Like I need to have him be breaking down more of these situations. <laughs> yeah, That's yeah. so interesting. Yeah. And like, yeah, I, I, on, yeah, I'm kind of like speechless because it's so like, on some level, like, I love the scrutiny of these moments, I think is equally valuable of like, wait, Elon, like, don't you want to figure this out and mess it up before it's like someone in a CNN reporter who makes it look worse and doesn't take over and like, isn't giving you the benefit of the doubt? Or do we do we hide all of these moments because people can't handle them? Or do we just own the truth and let people get used to it? Like, it's just such an interesting um I don't know. And I'm kind of torn as a creator because like my whole ethos is to like just like be a million percent honest and like wear my hot or my sleeve and just like literally document what happens. And so now yeah. I'm feeling like I literally almost can't do that because the Internet like isn't mature enough to understand it. I, I don't know. But it mm. like that almost makes me sad. And I'm like, well, now there's going to be 100,000 cars with this. Like it's not just Galley being an idiot posting like everyone's there's going to be a lot of idiots posting. So Tesla needs to get ready for this. So get ready like. 
Um, I don't know. And just as a Tesla investor, this is like, I, I feel like we're talking so negative about Tesla, but I don't know. Like, I think that's what great investors do is you should be worried about the thing you have to worry about, which is FSD is so incredible, but is also the greatest headline risk to Tesla. And is also the greatest, uh, I think the biggest mispriced thing about Tesla stock is the public sentiment that people hate Elon Musk. People are ready to just hate Elon Musk and cancel him a la Rogan and like, just no matter what. And it really makes me sad, but that's why I think if I was going to talk to Elon, like one like minor kind of like vibe advice I would give is he's underestimating how hard the media will go when FSD messes up. When there is a crash, if it gets documented, if something happens, they're underestimating how big of a backlash there will be from not regulators, from not the equity markets, but from the public. Mm -hmm and what that will create on a political level. And so yeah. that is to me the biggest risk of Tesla equity is, and that's why I say Elon, out of all the promises, the promise of a self-driving car sooner could backfire if it, something goes wrong and it looks like, I don't know. Anyway, I'm just kind of, yeah, I'm really yeah. curious what your thoughts are though. Yeah, so um, I see both sides. Um, I would give the counter argument that if you look at uh, up until this point, Tesla has done a pretty good job navigating kind of FSD beta and the rollout. Um, and they haven't, I think, pushed things too fast, too far in the sense where, um, yeah, it's been actually, you know, a, a pretty um, remarkable rollout to this point, meaning they, they're they thinking about this step by step. You know, they're just not haphazardly doing this stuff. The second thing is, I think it's a little different than, for example, that whole Uber crash, you know, that shut down their whole driverless program. Um, Tesla's program is more this, you know, driver oversight is required at, at every moment, all the time, you know, and ultimate responsibility is the driver's responsibility. And I, I think because of that, there is this um, a lot of extra coverage or, or in terms of leeway that Tesla has, where when there's a crash, it's really, you know, why did the person let that happen? You know, like they could have just took in the wheel and, you know, um, and done what they needed to do. Um, they weren't paying attention. So it's this, it's right now there's this interaction with human and computer and legally and everything the human needs to be aware and um, on the moment take responsibility or else you shouldn't try this software, you know? Um, so in that sense, um, I think maybe it could be okay, you know? And then maybe it gets so good in the meantime as it gets, you know, it's overseen by humans. It's just getting so good. Let's say in the next one to two years with, you know, you have version 11 now with full stack with, you know, all this stuff, with maybe Dojo, all this stuff combined. It gets so good where it's like by the time one or two years hits us, it's actually like, you know, they're piloting robo taxis in Phoenix or San Francisco or some other places, maybe in a, in a, in a more kind of, uh, I don't say geofence way, but yeah, with certain restrictions. Like for example, Cruise in San Francisco are doing it, they're doing it at like 25 miles per hour uh, late at night. But I think there are ways that you could actually roll out RoboTaxi if it's so good, if it's really reliable as in a few years, that um, kind of slowly perhaps um, eases it in. But we'll see. But obviously there are gonna be crashes. And that's the other thing. These crashes, some of them are gonna be so hard to understand for the public because no human would make that type of crash, right? And once it hits the headlines and then, yeah, it's um, it's definitely a, a, a big risk. And the thing in the back of my head is like, I actually love what you said there because that's such an important reminder of like, actually I'm in control. So if anything happens, like yeah. this isn't test, but then the flip side is like, like legalese is one thing, but it's called full self-driving. That's what the media is going to call it. They're already writing the articles as if the car almost hit the biker. And it was, you know, it's the articles aren't galley almost hit the biker. It's the car almost hit the biker. So 
I don't think the media will will appreciate the nuance. Unfortunately, <laughs> I don't know. But uh, uh, okay, yeah, so yeah. Let, let's talk about the uh, the good thing about uh, this this FSD because it's you know as tes nerdy Tesla investors, we're in the robot now that's driving yeah. itself, and then it's like we're developing the AI for the Tesla bot. And I don't even think we really caught up since the Tesla bot. And this is big. This is the and I loved. Did you make that chart with the arcs? And I yeah, think yeah, Elon liked curves, it. Yeah. Okay, I'm gonna put yeah, that yeah. up. That is the dopest yeah. chart it's so simple it's so beautiful it just um can you walk us through just this idea that tesla has disrupted the value at maturity of their own firm with the tesla bot yeah so okay so i'm gonna i'm gonna i'm gonna hype you up a bit uh Callie here so so um i've been talking about this thing called the four s curves of tesla and how usually with technologies like, you know, you have this uh, slow adoption. Once it hits, you know, it takes off, it gets better than the existing, you know, um, legacy product. It, it's a huge uh, uh, steep slope up and then it, it, it tapers down, it tapers, tapers off. Um, so we're in this uh, first EV S-curve right now. This is a massive, massive S-curve. Um, I was calculating probably there's over $2 trillion of auto sales per year. Um, and it's just a, a massive multi-trillion dollar market that we're just starting the S-curve for EVs, which will dominate everything, right? And then, um, so this is why I, I'm bullish on the stock the next few years too, because I think, you know, we're going to see some massive demand and that's going to, you know, really push uh, operating profits a lot higher. But then the second S-curve is FSD. And again, the adoption, and that's why this is the whole thing. Even like folks, like everyone, you know, with with the S curve, they think it's going to happen faster than it really will happen. And and so FSC, you know, a lot of people thought it's going to happen a long time ago, but it's like a slow thing. But once it really does happen, it's going to go crazy. It's going to like once it's solved, right? And this is going to be the second curve, which is going to be uh, probably much bigger than the EV or the whole vehicle market, just because if you do like, you know. Um, uh, 10 trillion 10 trillion miles supposedly is the rough figure that's uh, uh, driven in the world today. So you know if you do like a 25 cent or even 50 cent per mile, that's like 2.5 to 5 trillion dollars. But that's not considering how much more people will drive with autonomous driving. I think it could be double or triple those miles. You know, so you can easily have a 10 trillion dollar market for for autonomous driving. So this is the second curve, and I think once Tesla solves this curve, FSD, you're going to see the steep slope. And so this is the, like, it's rare that a, a mega cap trillion dollar market cap company can find a second S curve market that's bigger than their big market. You know, it's like, it's really rare to find. And then you've got the third S curve, which is energy. And I think if Tesla can make some breakthroughs with batteries and storage, I think they have a good shot in five or 10 years of hitting perhaps this steep part of an energy S-curve. And then you've got this uh, AI robot S-curve. And I call it the mother of all S-curves because this thing is, there is no, I think, limit to the st steepness of when this when the slope stops. Because theoretically, you know, it could really, you know, there's no limit of how many uh, robots can be made because the ro robots can make themselves. You know, it's like, they're, it's it's just a function of, you know, the limits of energy and raw materials that's available available in the universe or in the, I guess, near wherever on Earth or wherever. And so when you think about that, this this AI robot 
S-curve. Um, that's a, here's the thing. People don't want to entertain these extra markets because they don't think it's here yet, right? And they think it's fantasy, it's not gonna come and all this stuff. But the great thing is you don't have to believe in these extra markets completely because Tesla has the EV market S-curve already. It's like already this crazy dominant lucrative market. So all of these other S-curves, which are bigger in multiple times than the, the, the vehicle market, these are actually like option calls, you know, on the company that I think my personal conviction is I think it's going to happen most most all of this and they're going to be bigger than the, the EV market, all of these markets. Um, but yeah, it's kind of mind blowing that a single company somehow stumbles onto like, you know, they, they start making cars, but then they end up stumbling onto like perhaps AGI eventually. You know, it's like, I don't know. I don't understand how that happens. <laughs> it's like it's like so crazy and, and, yeah. yeah and it's so hard to like when you think of what tesla is that's why i love the x.com idea it's like like mm -hmm. a navy seal team of engineers just tackling all these incredible problems and that's why their disciplines are so multifaceted and tesla's like this basket of startups and why i think like spacex and tesla are accomplishing all these things it's like where do all the engineering students want to work there why do they want to work there because they're working for elon like yet another reason why we need him leading and ceo because that's like the deep engine of all this like innovation and excitement that's driving all this progress and like I don't know. I think about the Tesla bot as just having an unbelievable addressable market, just, you know, folding my laundry, cleaning my house, but it's, um, and the just last mile deliveries. But it's also like, I've been kind of struggling to think about the human component because um, just what that will mean for our purpose as humans. Cause I can't think of something more profound, like the smartphone's profound, but just like this idea that like all these tasks around my house, I don't have to do and I have a robot walking around doing them for me. And I, when I walk to my coffee shop, I'm going to see, you know, four robots in line in front of me getting coffees for their people who don't want to walk to the coffee shop. Like, it's just going to be a really mm. weird diff. It almost feels like this to me is like there was all humans walking around. And now we're going from just humans walking around to humans with a bunch of robots. And the percentage of humans versus robots, which is now 100, is going to go way, is just over our lifetimes is going to be more and more robots, probably maybe over 50% robots by the time we die. So it's like, I, I don't know, maybe we're getting kind of off topic here, but I just think this is a weird future that I didn't envision. And I definitely didn't envision Tesla building um, yeah. before AI day. So yeah, yeah. do you have any thoughts on kind of like this change of mission of Tesla? Um, yeah, I, I mean, no, I, I agree. It's, it's kind of like this um, thing that's caught off guard many people because yeah, Tesla was this, or has been, you know, the sustainable energy company making EVs, and and now you have Tesla becoming more and more of an AI company, and then talking about these robots that will disrupt so-called the whole labor market, and it's just kind of crazy if you think about it. Um, um, one of the things that kind of helped me though along the way was, um, my first talk with James Dama like was in November or December of 2020, and. I was asking like, what else could Tesla do with AI, you know, after full self-driving? And he was like, well, possibly humanoid robots, you know? And he's like, it'll cost maybe about $10,000. And he said, he's done this big old study with his so-called research partner on, you know, what it would take and, and, you know, all the actuators and all this stuff. And he's like, yeah, Tesla could actually get into that, but he's not sure when, right? And so um, actually in some ways I've been kind of expecting it and that, after FSD, what, what else are you going to do with AI? You know, um, you go pure digital like Google or, you know, Facebook or, you know, 
all these people just what you do some internet stuff like that's not really tesla's you know mo and if you do something offline it's got to be something you know useful and impactful and a humanoid robot like I was really happy about the humanoid robot because most people making humanoid robots, they try to make the, the, the robot look like a human, like the face and everything, right? Try to trick people to think it's a human. But like Elon has the common sense to, to say, wait a minute, we're not gonna do that. We're gonna make it look like a, like a robot. We're gonna do a black face, you know? And we're gonna make it not intimidating and we're gonna focus on it being super useful. And so um, I think, a lot of the kind of the reservations or fears I had of just perhaps the typical industry doing a humanoid robot, they were actually like, I was actually pleasantly surprised that Elon had thought through a lot of those concerns and reservations. And that kind of gives me extra confidence. I'm like, I think, you know, the the AI robot um, endeavor, the whole industry is, is actually in good hands with Elon and Tesla. You know, he's going to do the right thing. Um, but that's another reason why you know, hey, why why push Elon out, out of the company? Like, you know, because he needs to steward this like next kind of phase and stage of Tesla, right? Not just with cars, but with something potentially even more important. Um, but I don't know. Maybe maybe he'll stay with the company indefinitely. I don't know. But I, what's your take? Do you, do you think do you think um, does this robot uh, kind of development does it change uh, Elon's? kind of relationship with the company? Do you think he's more long-term committed now um, at Tesla? Yeah, this he's more long-term committed because what I'm thinking mm. is Elon abandoned OpenAI and yeah. he lost the power to control OpenAI. If you listen to him on Rogan in 2018, his first Joe Rogan, he talks about how he, he and I love how people say Elon's like a bad guy and he's like, dude, I tried to warn Obama. I had a meeting with Obama. I told him AI is going to be important. It's like he went, probably flew to DC on his own budget, took a meeting with Obama to try and pitch him on some shit that was going to screw humanity in 50 years. Like this guy is, has, he's got our back. Like, you know, yeah. and, and I realized that he didn't have control of that future if you look at it. And I think he saw at Tesla, he said, you know what? Somebody's going to do this i'm gonna do it first because i'll be in the most control so i actually think he's regaining control of the ai narrative and instead of having it as open ai it's now tesla that will create the agi and he's like fuck it even though we're a for-profit entity it'll be good because i'm gonna run it and control it yet another reason why we need elon but and he, yeah. if you listen to what he says they're slow you can outrun it it's like not too strong you could probably beat it up you know like he's already thinking about how to make it like less scary um and all that stuff and like benevolent ai so i think benevolent ai is the Tesla bot, like Tesla's become the AI part of Elon's future technologies he needs to put into society before it was in a different entity. So I think, yes, this will incentivize him much longer to stay on with Tesla, has a much bigger purpose. Um, and uh, this is kind of a funny random side tangent, but have you ever yeah. seen, I was in Austin a couple months ago. Wait, do you live yeah. in Austin now? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah, I'm here. Okay, okay. Yeah. And you may ask, have you ever seen a homeless person like run up to like a bunch of Lime scooters and just like knock them all over? Okay, so I don't know if this is getting weird or dark, but I saw this and it was so just like this crazy, like here's this tech thing. You have all these tech people riding these little scooters that get around the city. And then you have like this other part of the city that's, you know, we have a huge homeless issue in this country. And they're like, hate and this, this scooter is a symbol of the technology that's there that is kind of like the bifurcation of society. And so to me, I see that like the scooter is the Tesla bot. And this is kind of getting back to my weird conspiracy of Tesla's. What is Elon's weakness that we discussed? His relation with yeah. the outside world and humanity. And to me, he's already this crazy tech genius. The second he just starts deploying real robots, like all these people 
who don't get Tesla, who don't get what's going on, or the tension's going to mount. It's going to go from, oh, it's just a scooter to now this robot. Like, screw that. I'll just knock it over. Like, I hate this robot. Like, I don't know. I'm getting into a weird place. But I, I feel yeah. like um, Tesla's uh, discounting just they're bringing so much new to the world so quickly. It's almost like, yeah. and just in times in history, this is what occurs. So much new stuff so quickly causes a backlash. And it's like the Luddites and the people will revolt mm. against why are you taking all of our jobs? Why is this billionaire getting wealth? And he's now he's worth a trillion dollars. Now he's worth $2 trillion. Well, and he's working in a robot that will replace all of our jobs. Like, um, I mean, it's great if you're a Tesla shareholder. And if you think about it, like this will free up time for humans to be more creative. Like you don't actually want that crappy job anyway, then it's good. But um, I worry there, they need to get the masses on their side and they're not being strategic enough about that. that if I was like a, geopolitical perspective thinking about tesla that's what i'd be thinking about yeah. the pr yeah. team for that yeah i mean so the other side is i think a lot of these technological changes are going to take a long time to get out like for example um optimus right the robot like man the current state of the art kind of humanoid robots they're either like super pricey and they're not using ai at all or barely at all um the ones that are more kind of autonomous. They're just very silly. They barely, they can't even do anything, you know? Um, and so it's like, it's gonna be a while before I think we get uh, an AI robot from Tesla in our houses. And the first versions are gonna be pretty rudimentary. And it's like, it's like again, this S curve, it's gonna, like, people are excited about, you know, this stuff happening in the next three or five years. And I hate to tell people this, but it's gonna be a, a, a long, slow adoption. like. The, the, the technology is going to improve rapidly and it's going to like be really impressive, the demos and everything. But the problem is we're so like we're at a, a crazy low point right now. Like like robots can't do very much at the cost point that, you know, consumer robots uh, need to be. And so I think that's going to be one of the things that helps the backlash if there is. It's just I don't see robots like really taking over like, you know, on the streets and doing all this stuff for actually quite a while. Um, and it's going to be such a slow process and people are going to see the demos and hear the news and they'll get used to it over time. It's it's going to be something that's not going to be, I think, that shocking um, as if compared, like if robots were coming in two, two, two years, everybody's like freaking out, you know, like a robot invasion. I just don't see that happening. So, um, yeah, I don't know. I'm not probably as concerned as you right now just because i see a slower kind of you know adoption curve but we'll see yeah uh, and it's it uh we should get to Neuralink, which is so interesting and you're making me think that now yeah. i'm like wait if tesla's building agi Neuralink is the emergence of humans and agi why doesn't tesla buy Neuralink? like to me this yeah. almost makes it's a mini x merger but to me this almost makes a lot of sense of like and i know max hodak the ceo of Neuralink, left it's like wait let's just yeah. funnel these engineering resources in-house somehow um, but I'm like, wait, like if Tesla's going to build the AI robot, like, and we all think of Tesla as the next Apple. Um, and we all know that the Neuralink will disrupt the smartphone, which is Apple's business. So, yeah, I don't know. What do you think about that? Should Tesla? Yeah, Neuralink? no, actually, dude, I think that is a fantastic suggestion. I think, um, I think that, I think that's what maybe Tesla should do by Neuralink. I, here's, here's the problem with, um, SpaceX. SpaceX, because they're dealing with like national security, Air Force, Army, satellites, launches, all this stuff, if you bring it under one company, there could be some issues. Like, do you think China's gonna like that? You know, like Tesla and SpaceX together under one company? Like, I, yeah, it's a little tricky. Um, so yeah, fine, keep SpaceX separate, that's fine. Um, 
but bring Neuralink into Tesla for sure. Because first off, it's not a large company. You're not going to have a lot of cash burn with that company, right? Think about it. If they have like 50 people, max 100 people, it's like, you know, what are they burning? 100 million a year max, you know, 200 max. Like that's nothing. You're not even going to notice it on Tesla's cash flow statement. You know, Tesla is printing $4 billion of adjusted EBITDA in one quarter, this quarter. Are they going to notice 200 or $150 million of cash burn on Neuralink? No, it's like ridiculous, right? It's a, it's a penny. It's a rounding error, right? So yeah, acquire Neuralink for sure. And you've got this like synergy of now you've got the next generation brain uh, computer interface along with next generation, you know, robot AI kind of thing. Um, one, I was reading, you know, uh, one person was suggesting, hey, Tesla should buy a boring company. Um, that I'm a little bit more mixed on. Um, I'm I'm bullish on boring company, but boring company isn't necessarily writing, I think, the the craziest and the fastest technological trends in the world. And because of that, I think you're going to maybe like it's it's more just a capital intensive, slower moving. It's not like. I don't know. It's it just, I don't know if investors can get really excited about that. But Neuralink, on the other hand, this is writing, you know, a lot of tech trends. Um, you're talking about, yeah, unlimited stuff. And if you combine that with what Tesla's doing with AI, I mean, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually. Um, yeah, they should do it, I think. I mean, obviously, who knows? I mean, <laughs> who knows? You might get some crazy backlash, you know, off of this idea, too. <laughs> but um, no, it sounds good, though. Yeah, yeah. No, I'm sure we will. I love it though. And I love this keep thinking about it because, and that's what mm -hmm. I really loved about the spirit of your X.com idea of like the future is kind of waiting to be written. And I love how open-minded Elon is and like listens to mm -hmm. your suggestions. Like he wants to mm -hmm. hear it out. He like mm -hmm. is always thinking about how to restructure his businesses. So that's why I kind of like, okay, maybe this Neuralink idea is crazy. I kind of think it's adding up and you just look at the way the puzzle pieces yeah. are all happening. It's like, dude, if the AGI is owned by Tesla, like it makes sense that Tesla's also building the thing that puts it in our brains. And, um, mm -hmm. damn. I'm like, dude, this interview is crazy. What if this actually happens now? Elon's like, dude, that is, this is going to be so much easier than getting that SpaceX thing through. Like, yeah, yeah. It's like, buy it for $10 billion. You're telling me this doesn't add $100 billion of, of equity to Tesla stock overnight? Like, you know what I <laughs> well, mean? I don't, I don't know. I mean, I think for us, it, it's like hugely bullish in terms of valuation. But for most of, you know, big money, I think they look at this as, they probably look at it as neg as nothing, you know, as a wash because they they can't count anything that Neuralink is doing as positive value because they don't believe it's going to happen. Like it's it's something that's just so out in the future that like and then the the negative cash flow, their cash burn of Neuralink is like insignificant. So it's not going to I think hurt their valuation the negative way either. It's kind of like this I don't know. I don't know if they'll care that much. It's such a small acquisition acquisition so yeah. Man, I can't wait for Neuralink. Like, we wouldn't even have to record this. We could just, like, Neuralink and upload. That would be so much easier. <laughs> wait, are you, so are you going to get Neuralink? Would you get it? You know, I have, um, I'm mixed. I'm, I'm actually, I'm concerned, actually. So I have, I understand both sides. Like, I understand the the huge bull case of Neuralink. And, um, yeah, I think it, I mean, I think it has potentially one of the, the largest, you know, most valuable companies in the world eventually. Um, but on the flip side, it's like it, it's gonna be a it's gonna be a, a rough road, like not a rough road, but lots of ups and downs. Um, and I think you have to really need the device early on because you're gonna have some negative 
side effects, I think. Um, I think, but that's, those negative things are going to be worth it for those who, who need Neuralink just to, to walk or to, to communicate or do certain basic life skills. And so I think it's going to be a while for Neuralink just to be, to, to work within this field of people who, you know, really have, you know, kind of basic kind of life inhibiting or life essential type of um, handicaps. They'll work in this field for a, quite a long time, actually. I think they'll, they'll work and, and perf- kind of uh, work out the kinks you know, of the whole system and get it really, really reliable before it goes mainstream. So I think, I don't know, I think we're looking at least 10 or 15 years before, you know, um, normal folks who don't have major ish, you know, handicaps can get Neuralink. Yeah. And it's so I love how they're starting, like the way you explain it, they're starting with people where the reward is so much greater than the downside risk. Yeah. And then kind of moving along that scale. And I always think for me, like just this idea of capturing my memories flawlessly without doing anything is so powerful Mm. to me. That is like the killer app for Neuralink of why everyone would want it, because I try so hard to capture all my memories, relive them and like enjoy them. And like, I don't know, I think that's a super important part of life. That's why we take pictures. That's why we take videos. That's why we always tell stories. And like, I just think having perfect memory is going to be insane. And to me, that's like the, the, the use case that I just think of so that is going to be so powerful, but I don't know. Yeah. That kind of sounds a bit scary to me (laughs) because if you have perfect memory, I feel like you wouldn't live as much in the present because there's so much past to relive, you know, like to me, it's kind of a gift to not have perfect memory because then I don't have to think about, and you know, like I don't want to go into my photo app like every day for five hours, you know, like reliving all these experiences. <laughs> yeah, I want to, I want to take my kids hiking today and do a new thing, you know, something different. Um, but anyways, this is probably off topic. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's super interesting. Cause I think yeah. it's, it's a big change for what we are as humans biologically. And we've never, it's hyper change. It's like, we're evolving in a really fast, weird way where no yeah. human has ever experienced this much change in one lifetime. And so it's kind of like, I think it's funny to like, boil down the human elements of this. It's like, okay, we can talk about Neuralink as this crazy company, but then it's, I also think it's hilarious to be like, well, would Dave Lee get one? Like, you know, like, is it going to hurt? Like, what's the side effect? Like, there's all yeah, these yeah. human elements to it that I think are like, the Tesla bot's going to have a personality. Like, am I going to get him? Is he going to laugh when I do a stand-up joke? Like, is I don't know. Like, I'm so curious. Like, I don't know. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. uh, anyway, this has been so fun, Dave. I really appreciate yeah. it. I'm curious. I feel like we could talk for hours. We didn't cover yeah, everything, yeah. but um, I'm curious if you have any... Ev- Obviously, I'll link to your channel. Uh, I'm sure everyone's already subscribed to you, but they definitely should already for amazing uh, Tesla, Elon tech content. Um, is there anything else that you're, you're super top of mind that I missed? No. Yeah, I think you covered it all. Um, it was funny. I was like, you know, going out with my, uh, we were hiking this afternoon. And my wife was like, you know, it feels like you are like really excited about kind of the next chapter of Tesla. And because she, she's been actually, um, watching my past videos and she's like kind of drafting like a book of like of, of kind of all these like investing kind of principles and stuff and she's like she, uh, she remembers like i've said in 2013 i kind of had this um this fomo of like oh i, I think there's going to be a big jump or, or there's another stage that tesla's getting to in 2019 i had this uh, another kind of like oh my gosh tesla's gonna you know 
jump really fast. And and I think this third kind of jump of Tesla, um, like I, I see it, I sense it. And it's it's hugely related with, I think, FSD, but also kind of Tesla's, you know, ramping of EV production. And I don't think it's going to be as sudden as like in 2019 and 2020, we had this huge, you know, run with the stock. And it might be more multi-year, but I definitely think there's this um, big jump in Tesla's identity where, you know, it's it's catching people off guard because it's not what Tesla had been in the past. It's no longer just an EV company. Um, It's not no longer just sustainable transport or energy. And, you know, it's moving more into artificial intelligence and into these fields that, again, what we're talking about here, it's like, it's just more fuel for the haters and skeptics because they're like, oh my gosh, more promises, you know, from Tesla and Elon that they'll never keep. But for people who actually understand that, no, Elon isn't joking when he's talking about this stuff, you know, like he really is when he, when he says he's focusing on something, like he's really focusing on it, meaning he's getting it done. You know, there's a lot of advancement and progress. I think that's what I think a lot of people maybe are missing about Elon and Tesla right now is that they're confused and by the noise, right? Of all these, let's say, so-called failed promises of timeline, et cetera. They don't understand that. No, Elon, when he says he's doing something, like he's doing it, you know? And yeah, Tesla is being transformed into probably, I think, the most valuable AI company in the world. Um, that's where it's headed. But yeah, there'll be a lot of doubters, a lot of haters along the way. <laughs> um, yeah. I love that was such a great place to end it. It's like we, I feel like we feel so strongly Tesla's gonna, you know, be the biggest company in the world. They're making such profound changes in humanity. I almost feel like we're like plants talking in plant language, watching. You know how they mm-hmm. say plants talk at a different time scale than humans, and everyone else is looking at the plant like it's not moving, and we're there like, no, did you see it a week ago? Did you? See, where is it gonna be in two weeks? Like this is incredible, and they're just like can't. We're on a different, it's a different thing. But anyway, um, yeah, I can't wait to talk again soon, Dave. This has been awesome. Sounds good. I hope you have an excellent weekend. And uh, yeah, we'll talk soon. Awesome. Appreciate it. Peace.